Welcome to Soul Logic, not your breathy spirituality. This is neither tie dye running through fairy fields nor corporate performance metrics, but increasing your inner authority and personal freedom, moving you from the corporate mindset to a conscious mindset. We're your hosts, Cindy and Scott, and we're here to put the practical into awakening. Welcome to this episode of Soul Logic. Today we're talking about taking responsibility for what it is that we need. Let me ask you a very simple question. Have you ever not communicated what it is you need clearly? Of course you have. I have. Cindy, what about you? Oh gosh, all the time. Because you're a people pleaser. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Recovering, recovering people pleaser. Recovering people pleaser, right? We are a continued work in progress, but that's what we're here to talk about today is taking responsibility for knowing ourselves so well that we start to communicate what it is that we need to the other person personally and professionally. We're going to be talking about communicating in a nonviolent way. Cindy, tell us more. This conversation is stemmed from the work of Marshall Rosenberg, who wrote the book called Nonviolent Communication. And when I first heard about this work, I was like, oh, I don't need to read that. I'm not a, I'm not a violent communicator. I'm a people pleaser. <laughs> but as I started to read the work, I had this realization that, oh my gosh, perhaps I am. The violent part feels a little off-putting or whatnot. But as you get past that, what he's really talking about is what you just said, Scott, is we tend to not be in touch with our own needs. So that's number one. And then by not being in touch with our needs, we tend to shift the need or the blame of not meeting our needs to somebody else. So we do the shame and blame game. So we say, you were late or you're late all the time, or nobody pays attention to me, or we make these broad, general, all-encompassing statements that are nothing about actually meeting what's happening inside of us and meeting our need. So I was drawn in. And I think a lot of the tenets of his work riff off of just sort of basic common sense. But I think this goes one level deeper to taking responsibility for really digging into and understanding our own needs. I mean, I I can definitely remember a time when I've been angry with somebody was late, you know, and even thinking, oh, they're always late or the, or even using the word always in a scenario. And as I think back to that, I think, oh my gosh, I'm doing the shame and blame game that I am doing that, that violent communication instead of saying, okay, this person, I'm angry. Why am I angry? What is causing? Okay. What's the need under that anger? I need to know that person is safe or I need to not be disrespected. It could be any number of things based on our own experiences, but we don't take the time to pause and ask why. And I think that for me is the single biggest thing that starts us on this track of this nonviolent communication that this work, that Marshall Rosenberg's work brings to light. And that is the crux of this conversation. It's got to do any, any scenarios come to your mind where you might've jumped to, you know, anger or frustration or an emotion where you just were like, Oh, that person. Absolutely. There could be a lot of examples about that. I think the one that just to continue with what you were saying about a person being late, I'm thinking at work, potentially I was working on a project with the team and maybe I didn't do my portion of the work on time. So I was feeling unprepared and because I was feeling unprepared and behind in what I needed to do, it was important that the rest of the team 
for example, we were together on time to maximize the time that we had, mm-hmm. not blaming the other person that they were late, but coming into it, not taking responsibility for the fact that I did not do what it was that I needed to do. So that created this angst or anxiousness in me, knowing that I probably would have gotten it done. That's not the point, but it just put me on edge more than it should have. And instead, if the person would have been late or was late, then I could have been more reactive versus pausing and taking the time to respond. But before all of that, as you said, taking the time to be in touch with myself to understand, hmm, you didn't do what you needed to do, but you've got a plan to do it. So it's okay. Does that make sense? It does. And I think it, what it offers too in that scenario is like, okay, you have a plan to get it done. So your needs weren't met, but you had a plan to get your needs met. Right. And then afterward, instead of being like, oh, you know, you were late and you set us back. Like, how dare you? You're a bad person. It's like in what it's a very alienating conversation to have. And that's, I think the quote unquote violence that's that Marshall Rosenberg talks about that. I would even call it like alienation. And you've just put up a wall instead of, okay, your need wasn't met. You had a plan to handle it. And then you can have a conversation with that person later, if it's required to say, Hey, when you know you arrive late at the meeting, you're stating a fact. You're not saying you're a bad person because you were late. You're just saying, hey, you arrived late at the meeting. It's happened the last three times, or it's only happened this time. Then you know the need, my need, or the need of the company, or the need of the project is that everybody shows up on time because we have limited time. So, was there something? Did you need to move the time? You know, was there something that prevented you from being there on time that could that we could accommodate in the future to allow you to be there? And then they may fall on their sword and be like, oh, whatever, you know, or they could be like, you know what? Yeah, I just had a new baby and I used to be able to get there at eight o'clock all the time. And I'm just finding I can't get out of the house that fast. Great. We can meet at nine. You know, I mean, it, like there's solutions that can be potentially found there and or the person can, quote unquote, fall on their sword, take the responsibility and note that it matters and kind of like the, the gentle awareness of it versus like shaming and blaming, like you're late and the, I'm mad at you and you're bad. I don't know about you. I mean, I'm switching to, but like when I was growing up, my parents' disappointment was way more crushing than their anger. (laughs) You know, like if I disappointed them, I was crushed and I would definitely change my behavior. Whereas if they were mad at me, I was like, Oh, okay. Like I would just kind of tune out. I think it's very similar. I don't mean to compare us all to childhood, but I think that is where we learn some of our reactive behaviors. Well, I think it is very similar because the feeling is what we remember. It's not so much the words. I mean, the words are powerful, of course, Mm -hmm. but it's the feeling is how does this person make us feel? And whether it's in a personal relationship, familiar relationship, or at work with colleagues, peers, direct reports, or even even bosses, Mm -hmm. right? It's how is this person making us feel? And I think that particularly in the workplace, especially in hybrid environments like we have now, or even even environments that are 100% virtual, communication and communicating in a in a compassionate way, in a way that draws people to us and creates connection, builds the bridges, as you said, is even more important now than it ever was, because we don't have as much in-person contact. And I know many workplaces where people have been hired and they've worked months without ever meeting in person anybody that they work with, including their manager. Yeah. And it's only through a screen. 
And that creates distance as, as close as we could feel by seeing somebody versus just speaking to somebody on the phone. It's still not the same as being in person. So I feel like this topic is even more critical now than it ever was because so many with so much electronic communication, things can be misunderstood with so much electronic communication. Now the intention of what is being communicated has a higher probability of being misunderstood which means pausing and understanding what we need and where we are and taking responsibility for ourselves will allow us to pause, have more compassion for others, have give more space to others, and also then take the time to listen and be more open versus reacting. Totally agree. Yeah. And I, I love just the beginning when you talk about like, the, we don't remember the words so much as remember how it makes us feel. And that is where the, you know, you can just like the checking out and the lack of engagement at the workplace was rampant before COVID. I, I mean, I've seen statistics 70, 80%. I don't know how old those are, but it's definitely high. And I mean, think about you put your heart and soul into a project and you're doing all this work and one meeting you show up and you're late and somebody's like, you're late, like you're bad. And you just immediately feel judged bad person. And, and like all of the work you've done has just been discounted. And I'm just, this is a scenario and you just check out and you're like, well, fine, I'm not going to do all that. I'm not going to do that effort anymore because all they see is that I'm late to one meeting versus, Hey, your work is so valuable. And we're, you know, whatever, we're expecting you to be here. Do we need to accommodate your schedule different? Could you just let us know if you need more time, if you need to show up later, you're so valuable. We'll move, we'll move this for you. If we need, if we need that is a much different feeling than putting your heart and soul in something, showing up late to one meeting and you get hammered for it. Everything else neutral. You're just going to remember getting hammered for not showing up on time and doesn't make you right for showing up late, but it does mean Oh, I feel valued. Oh, I am going to try harder to show up. Oh, wow. They are noticing my effort. It just feels vastly different, vastly different. And I want to just talk about a little bit of these stages that Marshall Rosenberg talks about. So if you, let's just take that scenario where you've put a lot of effort into a project and you show up late for one meeting and you just get the shame and blame. You're late. How could you, right? You're a bad employee. (laughs) If you looked at that, if you just put yourself in that person's shoes, or maybe you've been there. There is a piece where you want to observe the reaction. You're going to immediately be defensive. It would definitely put me off of wanting to do more and work harder for this group. And then understanding why. And so also, if you're that person getting shamed and blamed, you also can say, hey, my needs are to be recognized. It doesn't have to be in the meeting, but you could say, hey, I put in lots of time, lots of effort, lots of sweat and tears. I understand I'm taking responsibility for being late. I could have asked for a later date. I could have done all these things. However, at the same time, I really need you to recognize the amount of time I've put in because when this happens, I feel like I don't want, I feel unmotivated. Like just in one moment, I, my, all my motivation is taken away. If you were in that scenario, if you were in the, that employee scenario, how would you react Scott in this mode of like identifying your needs first and observing and then evaluating? I think it's incredibly important. I also think it can be perceived as being selfish 
it can be perceived as being difficult, right? For somebody to, because back up a little bit, many of us have not been taught that it's okay to take responsibility for what it is we need and communicate what we need to those around us. For fear of rejection, fear of being perceived as selfish, or it's all about us when that's not really the case. If we position what we say correctly, we can talk about the need of the greater good, whether it's two people in a relationship or in a work environment. And here is here's what I see that I can contribute, but here's what I need to make my contributions or to help my contributions be even more impactful in this project. And I think it's important to have that conversation with, say, it's a group of people, right? With everybody. What is it you need to be successful on this team? What do you need from us? I When I'm working with leaders and leadership coaching, one of the questions I'm always encouraging them to ask their team members during reviews is, what do you need from me? Mm-hmm. How can I support you more? Because it do, it takes the willingness to, to, to go down to that, what's perceived as maybe a deeper level. And it is deeper. It definitely is not surface, right? It is much more, it's much deeper to understand what somebody needs, but it's so much, there's so much more value to that because it creates a much deeper connection, which is again, what we remember. We remember the feelings. How does somebody make us feel? What are the emotions they've created within us? Emotions of anger or hostility or disrespect being being devalued, or are they appreciating us? Are we feeling appreciated? Are we feeling respected? Are we feeling like we matter? So this type of communication is so important to creating the positive emotions, which then result in the feelings, which then result in the memories, which then determine how we behave going forward. And I <laughs> think really one leads on one leads to the next, right? It's true, but I want to go back. I think you bring up a great point as a leader. Let's go back to the leadership piece again, because I do think asking, what do you need from me to be successful is a great question, but there are a lot of people who don't feel safe. Well, one, one, they don't know. Right. And then let's say you do know often it's not always safe or you don't feel safe, even if it, you know, like I need some different assurances. So I think if we look at this work and this way of communicating, it's almost like the leader needs to ask something like, what can I do? to make it safe for you to communicate your needs to me. I really want to know what you need to be successful. And then I know you could even say, I know it's hard to express needs sometimes. So what can I do to make it easy and safe for you to express your needs to me? Cause I really am supporting you and I realize I'm your boss or whatever. I think that's a critical piece because I don't, I mean, I've been in many facilitations where, you know, the, the leader of a department will stand up and be like, I need your feedback. Like, give me your honest feedback. I really want to hear it. But somewhere in either the psyche, maybe it wasn't in the department, but like somebody has spoken up before and gotten their wrist slapped for it and it doesn't feel safe or some people just don't want to speak up in a group. So somehow I think it's really incumbent on a leader to, if you want to engage this type of communication is to make it safe for people to share with you too. And that's kind of the second piece. And we talk about your own personal responsibility for understanding your needs but then also making it safe and and being that bridge on the other side for seeing other people's needs, maybe even where they're not seeing it or teasing it out of them too. And I think that's where leadership can really step in. I agree. I think also another piece of 
this work that Marshall Rosenberg has put together is, and I think where we are often not great about expressing needs or where we could focus is specificity. So I don't know about you, but it's like, oh, I'm feeling sad, you know, or I'm feeling happy or like, or even expressing a need. Well, I just need you to show up on time or I need you to do your job, (laughs) right? Well, what does that mean exactly? Because doing my job to me might be different than doing my job to you. And again, if we go to this whole work scenario, how many times have you heard, especially in your coaching, where somebody's blindsided in their annual review because there was no communication along the way. That's a whole nother problem, right? But there's no communication along the way. And then you think you're doing a good job because you think you're doing your job, quote unquote, and your boss thinks you're not quite doing your job, but never bothered to tell you you weren't doing your job according to them. So I think it's really important. One, the ongoing communication in any relationship, work, personal friendships, whatever, but also with specificity, I need X, Y, and Z needs to be really, really specific. And that's hard. So one, we have to identify our need and two, be really specific about it. I mean, we're talking about scary territory here. Yeah. It makes me think of an example that's happening with me in real time. Mm. With an organization that I've been affiliated with for quite a while, I've worn several different hats, um, one of them coaching and talent development. And it's become clearer to me in the last, say, six months or so, that there's other aspects to the work that I've been performing, which while is easy enough to do, and it's fine, it doesn't fill me with passion. Mm-hmm. And I'm realizing that the longer that I do this, the less satisfied I become. And so I went through a couple of different you know, pathways of thought. One, don't say anything, just keep on doing it and suck it up. But that didn't feel right. Oh my God, Another suck it up. Was, <laughs> right, right. How many of us have done that? Yeah. The other path was take responsibility for what you're thinking, what you're feeling capture it. And I started making a list of what was the, what was working, what wasn't working, what was really filling me with passion, what was aligned with my values. I really, really went deep and took a lot of, a lot of, uh, I observed a lot. I observed and I evaluated. Okay. So I did the first two steps that you Mm -hmm. mentioned. Mm -hmm. Then I scheduled a meeting where I communicated what it was that I had observed. And what I was evaluating. So here's something very interesting. We talked about our body communication Mm -hmm. and our body, the body language, but not just about a body language that we communicate to others, but how our body communicates to us. And Mm -hmm. I found myself when I was signing into the platform, I found myself almost like holding my breath and Mm -hmm. saying without saying it, but thinking, gosh, I hope there isn't a whole lot to do today. Mm. And that was a clear indication to me that, Scott, you need to do something. You got to take responsibility for this because this is not where you really want to be doing this particular administrative work, right? A lot of detail, a lot of minutiae. I'm fine at it. Actually, I'm excellent at it, but it doesn't fill me with joy and doesn't fill me with passion. And so I made it very simple. And I said, I'm going to tell you a story. And I did tell a story. I like to tell a story. And (laughs) then I got to the point where I said, I have made a commitment to myself that what I need is work that involves people and deep conversations. If there's a person and there's an opportunity for a deep conversation, I'm in. Anything else, I'm not. 
Did now, you use the word need, Scott, in that conversation? I didn't. Ah, okay. Oh, shoot. I was going to be like, whoa, toot, toot. I, I, I probably said feel. Oh, well, that's I, th- okay. I think yeah, I said, yeah. I think I said, yeah. you know, I, I've done a lot of thinking about this and a lot of feeling into this. And I, I've realized that my values are this and this aspect of the work is very much aligned with how, I, with my values, mm-hmm. but this other part of the work is not. And I became very clear. And I said, I'm making the commitment. I use that, the feeling part. I might've said need at one point, maybe I yeah. did, yeah. but what I was, I was very clear on it and I hesitated well, I, I I hesitated even communicating this because I thought I don't want to disappoint them. Mm-hmm. I do value the, the business relationship. So I'd like to have some sort of a business relationship with the organization. But it's also important that they, then I came back to, it's important that they know where I am. Mm-hmm. This isn't the way it was years ago when this relationship started. And then that conversation did not go the way that I had expected, uh, mostly because there wasn't a hundred percent receptivity on their side okay. to what I had proposed. Some resistance, okay. Some resistance, yeah. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sure. And we met another time where we've talked about it more. I became even clearer on what it was because now I had about a, two weeks in between. So I had a lot more time to really think about this and a lot more time to observe and evaluate how I was showing up when I was doing the work. And I said, I can do it, but I don't want to do it. Mm-hmm. This is not what I need. Right. And then the second meeting was more productive. And then what really for me worked was writing out a proposal mm-hmm. where I got really clear mm-hmm. and I spelled it all out. And I said, here's what I am able to do. And here's what I am not willing to do. Mm-hmm. And if there's a match, that would be great for any of it or all of it that I'm willing to do. And if there isn't, I accept that too. And I was willing to basically to let it go. Ultimately, we've come to a very good decision on how it's going to work going forward with a transition timeline. And I feel really good about it. So I'm sharing this example because it didn't happen overnight. I mean, it it was, it was redefining a role, right? So it took some time to create it, but I feel like because I took the time to observe, to evaluate, and I expressed my needs with specificity, and I took responsibility of my feelings. And I actually said that to them. I said, listen, this is how I feel. Now, this is not just a black and white situation where it's a very transactional work relationship. There's a lot here. I've been there for quite a while with that organization. So I took responsibility for the feelings. And it was a very, not just it, they were very human conversations that in that acknowledge both sides, what we each needed, what we each wanted, and how we each felt. And ultimately, it was very successful. And it did take some time. It took some time, but that's okay. It is okay. And I think actually, you're bringing up a really important piece, I think, is a person practicing this. Well, first of all, I love the specificity. I love that. I want to just go back to one thing really quickly. You're like, I need to have work that works with people. Some people could stop there. That's not specific enough. And deep conversations. Like that's the specificity. I think that that's great. Right. So I just want to call that out. Kudos to you on that. And then two, I think most of us are not good at recognizing our needs and then expressing them. Even, especially in the United States of like asking for what you want or what you need can be seen as selfish or what. I mean, I think the resistance that you met is totally expected. I think that would be 
totally expected in a lot of scenarios. And the exception would be, well, thank you so much for expressing your needs. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> and so I think I've thought about this too, actually, as I was reading this work and thinking about how I would incorporate it into my own life is the very same thing. Like if you start asking for your needs, people are going to call you selfish. They're going to be like, oh, she's brazen. You know, like who does she think she is asking for this? Because it's not the norm. But I think done correctly in a way that, to your point, is accepting your own feelings. This is what I need. And I'm you're in a unique situation, I think, for some, because you are able to walk away from it if it wasn't going to meet your needs. And you're at a point where you're like, I need my needs. I really need my needs to be met here. It could be a journey, right? It could be a journey. If you're working with a boss or you're working with an employee, you're working with a partner, a friend, whatever, it may not be like, oh, I've expressed my needs and they've met them. Woohoo! <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I think the point of this is, you know, there are crucial conversations and how do you say the right thing and don't make the other person wrong. There's very, and those are all great tactics, but I feel like this does go into the next level of getting to the need. So, I mean, part of that can be like, I need, I love what I love. The other piece I love about that is like you expressed both sides of needs. You expressed your needs at first. They were like, Whoa, but then they came back and said, okay, well we need this. And then you were able to have this really open conversation with this bridge built versus them going, well, I don't care what you need. I run a business and we need this, you know, like, so I think expect accepting the resistance and letting some time pass and then having the conversation again shows maturity on both sides. Yeah. I just think that's probably a path to be expected for people, not just like a one and done. I've expressed my needs and my needs are magically met because it is socially, at least in the United States, not that accepted. Excellent points. And I want to say two things I want to add on to there are number one, it's not that accepted. And I think it's not that accepted because many of us have not done the work to really understand who we are at our core. What are our values? What is it that that we're passionate about? And then made the commitment to live a life aligned with our values. Many of us just suck it up and we go along with the relationship, with the work, with whatever it is happening in life, with friends even, because we're afraid of disappointing people, being alone, rejection, whatever it is, right? So there's that piece of it. The other part of it is, I want to share a little bit more that I didn't say earlier with the example, was it because I have done the work for quite a while? I also said, here's what I see are the needs of the company for this work, for this position. And here's, and then I let them speak and they said, absolutely. And I said, I can't provide that. That's something I can't do and I'm not willing to do Mm -hmm. going forward. Mm -hmm. So, and I said, because this is what I need. And that is just something that is, is not possible for me, Mm -hmm. you know, and it took, it took, I will say it took courage for sure to have the conversation because normally in the past, you know, being in, in roles where I was getting things done and, and leading people, I would just do it because it needed to be done. And I probably would do it pretty good. Right. And I said, I'm not going to fall into that trap again. I made a commitment to myself before going into these conversations. I'm not going to fall into that trap. And I had my notes written out and I had my old job description. And I had a lot of a lot of supporting collateral for me to fall back on mm-hmm. because I knew that I would potentially be swayed. Yeah. yeah. Right. Unless yeah. I was had the bullet points right there. And mm-hmm. I did. Mm-hmm. I needed that. So I think it's, it takes time. The payoff is really good. 
Definitely. Let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. You're listening to Soul Logic, shifting you from a corporate mindset into a conscious mindset. Check out our course online at roadmaptoawakening.com, helping you bring the practical into awakening and make sense of what's happening on your journey. Okay, welcome back. I just want to give an example that Marshall Rosenberg gives on the specificity is making a statement like, I feel like everybody is ignoring me is ambiguous and doesn't address those specifics that we're looking for. So something better might be yesterday morning, I asked my sister for advice and she didn't respond. The same thing happened with my boss at lunch today, which made me feel unappreciated. So like instead of everybody, the hyperbole of everybody get really specific, who's ignoring you, if that's your feeling. We always try to end our podcast with some action steps. We want to just demonstrate four different ways that you can react to a statement that starts to trigger you. So one is you can have a negative reaction to the words that are coming into you and you're late to the meeting and you go, oh my gosh, it's all my fault. I did, you know, I didn't do all these things earlier. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. This is terrible. I'm a horrible person. And I start to get depressed. The second one is I can get really defensive. Well, Joe is always late too. Why are you just calling me out (laughs) and get super angry and defensive or say it's a lie or you're not thinking about me or not seeing my point of view. A better reaction could be to the third one is to voice your feelings. Well, wow. um, I feel really called out when you say that I'm late in front of everyone. It makes me feel ashamed. Like, yes, I'm sorry. I'm late, but now I'm like checking out because I feel embarrassed And fourth, you can observe both your own feelings and the needs of the person blaming you for being late. Um, Because you actually, if you are in fact late, you can say, look, I accept responsibility. I'm not used to coming into the office anymore. You know, we've been working offline. That's on me. I take responsibility and I understand, you know, your need for me to be on time. It's more, it's respectful to the group, et cetera. And I will do that in the future. So you're both recognizing what you did, you're taking, yes, I own, I was late. I'm not denying it. I'm not getting mad about it. I'm not feeling, I'm not getting depressed about it. I'm just saying, yes, I was late. And here's, you know, you can give a reason why, and then acknowledge, I understand that this was disrupt, you know, this disrupted the group's progress. And I will be more considerate of your feelings going forward. That is building a bridge. And I think that the last example you just gave will often cause pause for the other person because they wouldn't be expecting that. They wouldn't be expecting an invitation to communicate what it is that they need. Or even recognizing that they had a need. Right. right? I think we're used to like, either I beat you down and I'm right. And then you like simper off to your seat ashamed, or you get that belligerent and then you get into this like conflicty, like I'm right. No, I'm right. No, I'm right. Um, Yeah. I think it's very disarming to say, you're right. I was late. I own it. I had some things that happened that I wasn't prepared for. That's on me. I understand I disrupted the group and I will change my behavior going forward. I mean, what more could you ask for really from somebody's like, what more could you ask for? And if they hang on to the anger, then that's them not taking responsibility for their feelings. Not that that doesn't make it still your problem if that's your boss or a group or something, but you've kind of done what you can do. Definitely. All right. So just kind of a refresher or recap on this. 
when we think about taking responsibility for our own feelings, we are building bridges instead of alienating people. And the ultimate goal of this is one to increase a more compassionate relationship with ourselves, getting in touch with our own feelings and our own needs, being able to express them to others allow and seeing their needs as well starts to build this bridge as well. So to do that, we want to observe the feeling. So we're angry, frustrated, or even happy, whatever the feeling is, just observing it and then understanding why. I mean, you could also just recognize your needs being met. That would be a beautiful feeling. But in general, we're triggered mostly by think when our needs are not being met. So observe it and then evaluate why. Why am I feeling this way? What is the need underlying the reaction, the emotion that I'm feeling? And then when you have that understanding, expressing yourself, your need with specificity. So not everybody, but specifically who, you know, what is happening or, you know, you've been late three times or not all the time. That specificity is really important. And then taking responsibility for those feelings. And then once you've been able to do that for yourself, I think it's easier than to also recognize the needs in others. Oh, okay. I'm being triggered by something. This is my need. They're being triggered by something. What's their need? Oh, they need me to be on time so that I'm not disrupting the flow of a project. Great. Let me recognize that too. Let me take responsibility and recognize the other person's need will help diffuse and disarm a situation and build that bridge so that you can communicate from there. And I think to your point of your example, let some time, like Marshall Rosenberg doesn't talk about this, but I do think some time is required for that bridge to be built while people adjust to you actually expressing your needs. So you can build the bridge sort of plank by plank. Going back a few podcasts where we talked about relationships and I made the comment that I realized that the more work that I've done on myself, the better relationship that I had and create with myself, the better relationships are around me. And I feel like this is a really key aspect to that. It does take time, but it's a fantastic way to improve the relationship with ourselves because it requires that we're more compassionate with ourselves. And if we start to fall into that trap of judgmental self-talk, right? I can't ever do anything right. That polarizing way of looking at things. I'm horrible at this. I'm, I'm, I'm horrible at interviews. I'll never do, never do this really well. What would the opposite of that be? And where's the opportunity for compassion? Because the more that we can pause and observe and evaluate what's going on there, we can find out what we're really feeling and what are our needs for ourselves and how are we either giving ourselves what we need or not giving ourselves what we need. And maybe that's causing this judgmental self-talk, but this method of communicating really does start with ourselves. And going back to my example, I have to say that through the entire process and the time that it took plank by plank to create that bridge, which I feel like the bridge has been created, I felt really good along the way because every time we finish a meeting, I started getting clearer and clearer about what it was that I needed and I took responsibility for it. And that made me feel even more empowered. And on the other side, it created more clarity and more understanding so that there's a lot less opportunity for misunderstanding or for potential resentment. So I think it's really important to to remember the compassion piece of it, but this all starts with ourselves. This really does. This is an inner journey first. And then by developing this method of listening to ourselves, observing ourselves, evaluating, and taking the responsibility to communicate our feelings and what we need, we give the space to allow others to do the same. And that can only improve every relationship in our lives. We'll talk to you next time.